0: We didn't stick to our guns quite enough, and so in the earliest stages people were telling us you really need to have experimentation in here, or you really need a mobile uh, offering as well. And so, for example, we, um, we hired contractors to do a, a mobile SDK for LaunchDarkly, and the first version of it was just not very good. It's really hard. Like We, we realized early on that our SDKs are pretty mission critical, and the quality of them has to be top-notch. They have to feel really native. They can't have any bugs. They can't introduce massive performance overhead. Relying on a third party to build that, just, it really doesn't work. My name is John Codemol. I'm the CTO and co-founder of LaunchDarkly.
1: This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laporte, And today, how John Codemol built the number one platform to release your product using feature flags. All this and more on Code Story. John Codemol grew up really into computers and he's old enough that during his childhood it was abnormal to be so into computers. To illustrate just how much he was into computers, he told me a story about how he taught himself to touch type in grade school using the Dvorak keyboard layout. He's a family man with two children, a seven-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son, and outside of family, he has a ton of hobbies and interests, including climbing. In fact, his last trip before COVID hit He took a bunch of friends and co-workers to Ice Climb in Colorado. Over his entire career, John has been thinking about ways to deliver software better. He did a PhD in programming languages, and he worked at Atlassian for a number of years. When he got connected with his co-founder, Edith Harbaugh, they started to explore just how big of an opportunity they had around feature flags. This is the creation story of LaunchDarkly,
0: So LaunchDarkly is a feature management platform. Um, Simply speaking, it allows software developers, product managers, anyone involved in building software, um, to leverage feature flags to uh, do a lot of things. Um, The simplest use cases, a lot of the value proposition is around um, being able to mitigate risk around software releases. So uh, you can, for example, when when you're launching a new code change or a new feature out into production, um, you know historically, pre-launch darkly, you would just deploy it and everyone, every, you know your entire user base would see it all at once. Um, we've realized that that's a pretty risky practice and a better practice as an engineering team is to do gradual rollouts. Feature flags are one mechanism to do that. and Launch darkly is a platform that takes feature flags and elevates it from like uh, a thing that you flip on in your database that only your developers know about to a full-on collaboration platform where everybody, that is involved peripherally or can get value out of using feature flags has access to the tool. So a product manager can define a release schedule for a beta feature and uh, and be able to to run that release process themselves without having to involve engineering. So my co-founder and I, uh, my co-founder Edith Harbaugh and I, we iterated on a handful of ideas and uh, ultimately my entire career I've been thinking about ways to to deliver software better i did a phd in programming languages um, specifically interested in like finding defects in software automatically Um, i worked at atlassian for a number of years Um, you know i realized that this was like kind of like the area that that i knew best and edith has a a really strong background in um in 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 the developer space as well and so um, we looked around and found an opportunity to build this product We, we You know, I I think we weren't, we didn't necessarily know how big of an idea it was, um, but we wanted to explore it. And from a technical perspective, we kind of just dove right in. Um, Some of the initial ideas that I had around the architecture of the product, um, how it would work, like the idea of having SDKs that customers download and insert into their applications, the idea of doing the feature flag. Uh, evaluation, the, 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 the assignment of whether or not someone gets the true variation or a false variation to a feature flag and doing that all in memory with no performance overhead. We, f- we figured that part out in sort of like week one. Um, from a tech perspective, um, I had had a, a, a long background in, in functional programming. Um, I'd done a lot of stuff with Scala, Scala Z, and even Haskell at previous work. Um, but for LaunchDarkly, sort of deliberately chose uh, to use Go as the technology stack. And um, some of those technology decisions, for example, like the, the use of Go, the structure of our first monolith, the breakdown into some of the microservices that we have, all of those occurred kind of at, an, at the earliest phase. Um, so the first repository we created, at the first code I wrote, um, I think it's still in production now. I mean, it's probably just main at this point, right? But, um, but it's still in production at this point.
1: Well, let's dig into that a little bit. So tell me about the MVP. You mentioned some of the tools, but I may get you to reiterate on them. So tell me about what sort of tools you used and how long it took you to build. You
0: know, I'm I'm a I'm primarily a back-end developer. And so one of the biggest challenges was when we started the company, it was just me and my co-founder. Uh, I was the only one you know, hands-on keyboard writing code. And I don't really know much about the front end, and so I picked the simplest technology that I could from the front end perspective, just to get something out the door. Um, so we used Angular on the front end. Um, the first line of Go code I wrote was was literally like the main uh, the main application um, for for LaunchDarkly. Um, so we used Go. We used um, uh, we used Angular, and we we knew pretty early on that we wanted that this was going to be a pretty high-scale service if we were successful. Um, so we chose uh, we chose Fastly as a CDN technology, and this was back in like um, this was back in two, 2015. So Fastly was still a pretty young uh, emerging CDN provider, um, but we knew we needed to do certain things, uh, you know very efficiently, including things like purging CDN caches. Um, So we picked uh, Fastly as a technology because it was sort of like, I I kind of viewed it as Varnish as a service. Um, And Varnish, you know, has this ability to like really, in a detailed way in VCL, specify um, how the, the CDN layer should behave. And then it can also like purge extremely rapidly. Um, in the order of um, milliseconds or seconds, which was an an important capability for us. So those were some some of the early technology decisions. Um, We were also, you know, from an operational perspective, um, I didn't have a ton of time to dig deep into AWS. um, And so as a shortcut, we were deployed on DigitalOcean for a while. Um, We eventually migrated into AWS and now are heavy consumers of many of AWS's services. So in that
1: early, you know, product you mentioned, you know, what sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make? Dig into some of those about technical debt, feature cut, you mentioned DigitalOcean, there's probably some stories there, but what sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make and how did you cope with them?
0: From an operational perspective, the whole service was designed to sort of like, let one operator get it, you know, get it up and going and then maintain it. And so we took a lot of shortcuts from an operational perspective. Uh, a lot of the tooling was just around what could we deploy, what could I deploy if easily and efficiently and be iterating on the product space and not iterating on, on the operational side as much. Um, from the product capability perspective, we knew there was a lot that we had to build eventually, uh, but we really, this was this was category creation. I mean, a, a product like this didn't really exist in the commercial space. There were a lot of open source tools. There were a lot of things in the commercial space that focused on A-B testing. And a lot of the pushback we got from early customers was, why isn't this A-B testing? And we really had to define what the difference was, what the unique needs were when you were thinking about feature management versus um, specifically optimization-focused A/B testing, different user personas, different needs, and so um, the early product, we focused on showing that 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 first delta of value. We knew that we'd be heavily used on the server side, um, even though a lot of you know a lot of people, customers, investors were telling us you know, you need to focus on mobile and client side because that's where the web is today. And we realized actually like this is something that we expect developer development teams to use in terms of like how they develop all of their code, not just, you know, experiments they wanna run. And that means that it's part of their daily practice. And that means that it's gonna be involved on the server side. So in the early days, we, we focused on like really core, simple rollout capabilities. Can you do a canary release with LaunchDarkly? Can you do that on Java? We picked Java as sort of like the earliest stack, and I built one of the SDKs for, one of the earliest SDKs we built was for Java. Um, So we focused on Java. We We kept the capabilities really simple, but we really focused on sort of that core use case. You know, can I flip a flag off nearly instantaneously if something goes wrong after I deploy without having to roll back the deploy? And that was what the MVP did. I was laser focused on that.
1: Well then, okay. So you've got the you got the MVP. It's laser focused. Uh, you work through some of the decisions and trade offs, and you're getting some traction. Tell me how you progressed the product from there, how you matured it, and um, I mean, kind of framed in the in the st- from the standpoint of how did you build your roadmap and figure out this is the next most important thing to
0: build. There was this sort of like hump that we had to get over, which was we 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 applied like sort of like a lean development methodology for the first cut, and as I said, it was laser focused around that one use case, and um, we recognized that there was like a second version of the product that needed to do a heck of a lot more, and it involved like a new UI, new capabilities. This was sort of like where we introduced some of the more sophisticated targeting capabilities. So you know, in LaunchDarkly today, you can, um, you know, you can do uh, a percentage rollout, kill switch a flag but you can also say things like um, if the user is in the early adopters segment uh, and they've logged in in the last 30 days serve them this variation otherwise serve them that variation and that sort of conditional logic with operators and attribute matching and filtering we had to build that into the second version of the product Um, and that that was sort of like the big hump that we we overcame from the MVP to the thing that eventually became the launch darkly that people recognize today and I would say like one of the things that um, I wish we'd done is actually I know it's counterintuitive a lot of times when you're an entrepreneur everybody says be laser focused do just that one thing um, I, I, I think we could have been laser focused in terms of the messaging and been a little, been a little bit more ambitious in the MVP because one of the things I've learned in expanding like the MVP out to a full-fledged product is, um, some of the data modeling decisions that you make, like the information architecture of the product, it is super hard to iterate on that. Um, you know, there were phases where we were like, all right, we need we need a concept of environments so that you can deploy to staging and have not have that affect your production rollout. And we had to like re-architect the, the IA or the, the data models in the product to accommodate that. And that was an extremely painful process and something that we could have just sort of shortcut all of that if we if we'd been a little bit more ambitious in terms of like how we modeled things originally
1: Was there any part of that where so you you didn't model it that way originally? uh, And you learned it sort of along the way how you would model it Would you have known everything that you needed to know in the beginning if you were that ambitious is kind of where my question is?
0: I I don't know in 2015 if we would have but I think in 2021 the picture is much clearer and and I'll explain that very specifically. Um, I think I think in 2021, the current generation of developer-focused tools and a lot of B2B tools understand that they need to sell to the enterprise, and what that means specifically is much more well known in 2021 than it was in 2015. And it is much easier for a small startup to build towards the enterprise um, with some of those capabilities from the outset. Um, so, for example, like delegating administration privileges or audit logs or role-based access controls. These are the things that, that you know you're going to need to build. Um, and, you know, there's a site like EnterpriseReady.io, for example, is a, there's a static site um, that kind of describes uh, what you need. And I think more and more startups are actually coming to uh, the market with an early MVP that serves more of those enterprise needs because it's cheaper to do and it's better known. And um, I think if we'd started Launch Sharkly today, we would have gotten a leg up by sort of just assuming we were building from the enterprise from from day one.
1: We'll we'll switch to team. So tell me how you built your team and what you looked for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you.
0: We were very fortunate in that in the early days of Launch Sharkly, so I I came from Atlassian and, um, you know, atlassian had an amazing culture and uh, they were an amazing company um, and i was able to pull a number of folks from my early team uh, at atlassian so the first two launch darkly engineers uh, who are still with launch today i have worked with them for about five years at atlassian and so we had a a, a really strong working relationship we knew what the culture was going to look like um we knew we knew what you know, we, we knew a lot about how, how to work together. And that carried on. Um, you know, the, we were heavily weighted towards, you know, some of my old teammates at Atlassian in the early days. As we scaled the team up, um, we sort of had to be a little bit more deliberate about writing down what the characteristics were so that we could find them in new folks that weren't just in our network. Um, and that, that was something that took, you know, uh, multiple cycles. Um, there are various inflection points in the history of LaunchDarkly where, you know, for example, like recruiting was just scrappy, nobody had ever heard of us, you know, we can try to sell people on the mission and vision, um, but everybody's taking a leap to, okay, we're established, we've raised a good bit of money, we have some clear indications externally of success, people are, you know, being more attracted to us, um, how do we retain that, how do we turn that hiring machine into, um, into a real engine? Um, so. That, that the definition of like how we built the team has kind of changed over time. Um, the current version of it is very different from what it was then because we're we're basically doubling um, still th- these days, and um, you know hiring from you know 300 to 600 people in a year is is a is a completely different task than you know your first 12 people, your first 15 people, where you, you know you're you're being extremely deliberate and they've never heard of you, so they're they're taking a huge risk on you as well.
1: Well, let's switch to scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you fighting this as you grew? And you, and you touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but I want to dive into that topic specifically.
0: We, we did build some for scale, like some of the core decisions around the architecture, There were deliberate product choices that had an understanding of like how customers were going to scale with us. One thing I will say is, um, our ability to scale to request volume, without, you know, that, that sort of has evolved massively over time. So when, when the first production customer launched Darkly, I remember when they onboarded. You know, we were handhold, we were holding their hands as they walked through the onboarding process. They got us into production, and I saw our analytics go from zero requests per second, like totally dark, to six requests per second, and I almost had a heart attack. Uh, six requests per second, how are we going to possibly manage this volume? And I was just with one customer. Um, the current system now is doing 6.5 million requests per second on our analytics pipeline. Um, 49 terabytes of, of data ingested per day, 20 trillion feature flags. So we scaled from you know me having a heart attack over six requests per second to that. Um, I, w- I would say the, the lessons I learned is sort of like... Um, the, the behaviors that we built into the system that were customer visible, we built those for, to scale for day one, sort of like the idea of like, you can evaluate a feature flag and that will happen in memory. It will generate an event asynchronously um, and we will process that event and we will batch and process that event. We built that in from sort of day one. Um, we have iterated massively on the, the backend infrastructure to actually handle that from um, you know various different um, systems used to process messages, to um, like a queuing system, bringing Amazon Kinesis into the fold, um, bringing auto scaling into the fold. All of those things were gradual steps that we took over time to get to the point where we're at today and our ability to handle the the, the scale that we're at today. You can change stuff that's on your end. You can't really change stuff that's on the on the customer's end so rapidly. So um, you need to the, you know the, what's in what's in the customer's hands. For us, that's like SDKs, um, because they they in, in embed SDKs into their product. If you have a component like that, you need to invest up front in making sure that that scales, because you will never be able to get a customer to upgrade on a rapid cadence if there's an emergency. The stuff that happens behind the scenes, all your backend stuff, you can iterate on that, you know, uh, to your heart's content, and you have the ability to do that over time. It doesn't make sense to invest in, and say, we're going to handle 6.5 million requests per second from day one. When you're building an initial service, you're going to over-engineer it. Um, you can afford to, to grow into that over time.
1: Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across what you've built with darkly, what are you most proud of?
0: I think I am most proud of the impact that we have uh, for customers. Um, and and sort of like transitively the the positive impact that I believe that that plays on in the world. Um, So, you know, when you're building a service like LaunchDarkly, you have the opportunity with what we built to change the way people do software development, Uh, and that sounds grandiose. Um, But I think, you know, when when you talk to our customers, it's a reality that they're facing today. You know, Some of our largest customers that are using us, literally every change they they put out is protected by a feature flag. Uh, it's baked into their development processes. As somebody that spent over 20 years of my career thinking about how to how 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 to help people build better software faster, um, that's that's kind of the holy grail. That's amazing. I'm super excited about that, and um, our ability to help customers, you know, our ability to help people build better software, I think impacts the world positively. I mean, I think at the end of the day, if you're in the software industry, you have to at some level believe that software is making the world a better place um, and if you can help companies build better software then you can help make that the world a better place ultimately again that sounds grandiose but i think it's a it's, it's it's actually true i believe that
1: well let's flip the script a little bit tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to
0: it well i i alluded to it earlier but i think one of the mistakes that we made was not investing in the information architecture the the data model the product adequately at the earliest stages and um, we faced it by i mean in the most painful and obvious way possible which was just we we had we had to do these multiple migration efforts to inject new layers into the data model like a concept of environments a concept of projects um, a concept of uh, like a stronger concept of organizations Um, so we we, we sort of paid for that mistake um, pretty early on. I think another mistake we made was um, we didn't stick to our guns quite enough, and so in the earliest stages people were telling us you really need to have experimentation in here or you really need a mobile uh, offering as well. And so, for example, we um, we hired contractors to do a, a mobile SDK for launch Sharkly and the first version of it was just not very good it's really hard like we, we realized early on that our SDKs are pretty mission critical and the quality of them has to be top-notch they have to feel really native they can't have any bugs they can't introduce performance massive performance overhead and um, we you know relying on a third party to build that just it really doesn't work um, I think we would have been better off holding off on some of the mobile SDKs for you know six months until we could bring somebody into Launch Sharkly, uh, a developer in-house to build that and really understand like what we were trying to do with Launch and build that, uh, build a great mobile experience for us. And so that came later. Um, we brought everything in-house. We have over 22 SDKs now from you know, every mobile platform you can think of, browser, JavaScript, um, Java, you know, all the way up to some esoteric things like Haskell, uh, Lua, things like that. So um, it, it is something that we've, we've really invested in um, and we view as one of the most critical pieces of like the engineering that we do here uh, is, is all of the SDKs that we support. What does the future look like for the product
1: and for your team?
0: We think we're really only starting to tap into the value proposition of what feature management is. As I mentioned earlier, we were in a stage five years ago where we were sort of like creating the category of feature management, telling people what it was and how it could change the way you do software development. I think at this stage, you know a good chunk of the market understands what we do a good a good number of customers are seeing the value proposition firsthand and they want to know what's next what more is there to feature management what else can it do and um, that's one of the things that we're we're focused on from from a company perspective um, we're growing uh, massively we're you know we're still basically doubling year on year uh, on a number of different fronts um one of the things that uh, we're going after that uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily have anticipated is uh, we've got a lot of traction in the federal sector. And so we're going through a FedRAMP um, certification uh, now. So we're, we're listed as FedRAMP in process and we've done a number of the compliance things in the past, like you know, SOC 2, Type 2 and ISO 2701. FedRAMP is a completely different level of, of difficulty. Um, and we've gone through it, we're spinning up our federal instance. We actually have uh, a good number of uh, federal customers already, um, and we're excited to bring them onto a, a more hardened uh, platform, uh, launch LaunchDarkly platform that they can use.
1: What's well, what's to you, John? Who influences the way that you work, uh, a CEO, a CTO, really any person, name a person you look up to and why?
0: Two people that i look up to a ton are um, the co-founders of atlassian um, mike cannon brooks and scott farquhar um, i spent six years at atlassian and part of the reason i stayed so long was to see what it was like to build and scale an amazing company and and that's what they've done uh, i joined atlassian at about 150 people and i left at about when they were about 2500 people or so um, and that was an incredible a uh, um, series of changes to go through and to observe as an employee. Um, I saw their ability to preserve what made Atlassian special culturally from a, a product execution standpoint. Uh, I saw what it took to do that and I took a lot of those best practices to launch Sharkly. Um, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that without being at Atlassian, without observing their leadership, uh, LaunchDarkly wouldn't be what it is today.
1: Well, we talked about mistakes and you mentioned, you know, building things in a scalable way in the beginning and the mobile approach, but, um, you know, let's go about it a different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? It doesn't have to be a mistake, can just be, ah, I wish I would've done this this way.
0: It's sort of like a, what would I do differently if we started LaunchDarkly in 2021 answer that I'm gonna give you, which is, because the world has changed, you know, in the in the last seven years, what what you did to start a company in in 2015 wouldn't fly uh, in 2021. So things that would be different if we started LaunchDarkly today, like assuming that the the market category didn't exist and we were coming coming to things with sort of like some of the market conditions that existed in 2015, or like the vision of what LaunchDarkly would be, but we were executing in 2021. Um, I would. I think you can rely on cloud a lot more. Uh, and so, you know, um, some of the technologies that we tried exploring in the early days in, in 2015, uh, like we we tried to build the LaunchDarkly stack on top of Mesosphere. Um, and that clearly would have been a huge uh, mistake. Um, in 2021, I think you can very safely start uh, uh, and build on top of something like Kubernetes and, and have a lot of success. Um, I think you can adopt cloud in a much more native way and leverage more high-level primitives that exist in cloud than what we were able to do. Um, we were, you know, we were building things on top of like Docker containers and there's higher level abstractions now that you can build on top of. Um, there's more and more SaaS tooling that I think we would have used from day one and trusted. Um, I think those are the dimensions along which, which like, we would have changed things. And, and, and a lot of those are not like, we did it wrong in 2015. It was those conditions didn't exist in 2015 and they do exist now. And if you're not taking advantage of them, you're going to fall behind everybody else that is doing them.
1: Well, last question, John. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit?
0: A few things come to mind. The first is, if you're a technologist especially, don't underestimate how much non-technology weighs into the success or failure of a startup, because it's mostly that, right? Um, Technical execution is one piece of the puzzle, but it's, it's one of many pieces, and there are so many other dimensions that have to work. You can build a great piece of technology, but if your timing isn't right, if your go-to-market message isn't right, if you don't understand who your buyer persona is, um, that technology is just going to fail. Um, so, if you're a technical founder um, and you don't know how how to how to how to address those things, um, find a co-founder that that does. I, I was fortunate enough to find. Uh, my co-founder, Edith, um, who understood all of those things. And um, again, LaunchDarkly wouldn't be where it is without without her. It, it took the conjunction of technology and you know, timing, market effect, all that other understanding about the market to, to make LaunchDarkly work. So that's one thing I would, I would share. Another thing that I would share is, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, assuming you're doing something interesting, you're probably, you know, if you're really innovating, what you're doing, no one's really thought of it before, and no one's thought it could be successful before. So it's probably likely that you're hearing a lot of no's about the quality of your idea or its ability to be something in the marketplace. Um, and, and part of that, part of being an entrepreneur is sort of like absorbing that and understanding where you're right and everybody else is wrong. When we started LaunchDarkly, everybody told us that this was just exper- this was just experimentation. This was just a feature from an A-B testing tool I don't understand why it's not more than that. I don't understand why you're targeting people using feature flags and servers. Like the whole world is mobile applications and web-based applications. So why does the backend matter? And we, we had answers to those questions. Like we we had a, a strong vision of what we were gonna become, but everybody was telling us no. Um, funding was, was really hard for us back in those early days. Um, and I think you know there's um there's a fine line here because at one level you have to be you have, you're probably hearing a lot of no's and you have to deal with that on the other hand you know it's very possible that people all right are right and you you know your startup is failing or it you know it has failed and you're just being stubborn about it um, and so figuring out the distinction between the two is 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 that's that's kind of the art of, of of being an entrepreneur in a lot of ways as i see it that's
1: good stuff i appreciate you sharing that well, John, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Launch Darkly.
0: Thanks, Noah. It was a pleasure.
1: And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash Code Story for just five to ten bucks a month.